when we think about uh, forgiveness and what is necessary for the repairing of our wounded relationships, it can certainly seem like a, a daunting task. If you uh, ever want to know what is in the flesh, just uh, give it a try and you will begin to appreciate just how difficult it is. Sin destroys relationships and sinners are given to that by nature. It does not lie in us natively to uh, forgive and to repair relationships. This is something that, that God must do for us. But I thought for our encouragement before, before looking again at the, at the difficult work that is in front of us, I thought it would be useful for us to think first upon our heavenly high priest, Jesus, and his prayer for us in this regard. And we know that the, uh, that the Father uh, hears and answers his prayer in the affirmative. So as uh, great as the difficulty is here, indeed, let us acknowledge that it is impossible for the flesh, and nevertheless, it is something well within God's power and something that is assured to God's people. The Gospel of John, chapter 17, beginning in verse 1. These words spake Jesus, and lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy Son, that thy Son also may glorify thee as thou hast given him power over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as thou hast given him. And this is life eternal, that they might know thee, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom thou hast sent. I have glorified thee on the earth. I have finished the work which thou gavest me to do. And now, O Father, glorify thou me with thine own self, with the glory which I had with thee before the world was. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Now they have known that all things whatsoever thou hast given me are of thee. For I have given unto them the word which thou gavest me, and they have received them, and have known surely that I came out from thee, and they have believed that thou didst send me. I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for, for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, 
Keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are one. While I was with them in the world, I kept them in thy name. Those that thou gavest me I have kept, and none of them is lost, but the son of perdition that the scripture might be fulfilled. And now come I to thee, and these things I speak in the world, that they might have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them thy word, and the world hath hated them, because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world, but that thou shouldest keep them from the world. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. As thou hast sent me into the world, even so have I also sent them into the world. And for their sakes I sanctify myself, that they also might be sanctified through the truth. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them and thou in me, that they may be perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me. For thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. O righteous Father, the world hath not known thee, but I have known thee. And these have known that thou hast sent me, and I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. Look again with me, uh, beginning at verse 20, and consider again his prayer. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word that they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one, I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. 
So when it comes to working through difficulties in our relationships in the body of Christ, here is, is hope. Our ascended Lord Jesus, the great high priest, has prayed for it and is praying for it. And so we know that it will certainly be ours. Let us happily number our, ourselves as those that put no confidence in the flesh, but put all of our trust, our hope, our, our confidence in our, in our blessed head, our beautiful Jesus. Now, to pick up where we, we left off last week, uh, I set before you Webster's definition for uh, forgiveness. I really don't have any great uh, complaint against it, except um, in as much as any definition is just trying to give you some of the most important, <laughs> some of the leading features of a concept, but certainly not all the features. I, again, I it just seems pale compared to all that you will find in the Bible, but um, it's certainly true enough as far as it goes. One wonders if he had Colossians 3 very much in mind, that forgiveness does entail a putting away of anger, wrath, and malice. It is important for us as Christian people to remember that, that anger ought to be uh, occasional, temporary, and short-lived for uh, believing people. If it's allowed to sit, it will fester and become malice and bitterness, poisonous to the self and uh, poisonous to relationships. Uh, but he, he also talked about the... Um, the relinquishing of the desire for any sort of uh, retributive pain. Uh, so uh, both of those ideas together, I might add another one as at least part of the concept, which is um, in forgiveness, we are, we are moving past offenses. Uh, they are being... Uh, left in the past. We could borrow the language of, of Scripture. They are cast into the sea of uh, forgetfulness. Not that we um, necessarily don't have any recollection or the memory becomes a, a blank, but by forgiveness we move on past them and move on into the future together not always haunted, not always vexed by the sins, faults, mistakes, and offenses of, uh, of past times. Now also, one of the reasons I wanted to get beyond definition to, to the richer concept, because once you, once you move out into the broader concept, you're freer to contemplate uh, connections between concepts. And certainly, uh, forgiveness is the fruit of a loving heart. Love uh, desires fellowship with the beloved. And if there's going to be fellowship or relationship between fallen creatures, um, 
there's going to have to be forgiveness. Uh, there are going to be sins in relationships. Uh, the, the closer the relationships, the more there's going to be sins and the more noticeable they're going to be. Uh, if you don't, if you're married already, you will believe me. If you're not married yet, once you've been married for about three days, you, you will know exactly what I mean. The closer you are, um, uh, the, the sinfulness of the other person will be readily apparent, and it will, it will always be there. And if we're not able to forgive, there's not going to be any way for the, for the relationships to be uh, sustained. But looking at that, looking at love, and then looking at forgiveness as as uh, sprouting from from love, as it were, and directed toward a particular end, which is the the at least proximately uh, the the maintenance and the continuance of relationship. I thought it would be useful for us to. Uh, look at our relationships and counsel that the Bible gives us in handling the offenses that that come up between us. And we certainly need counsel. Offenses are going to abound. And so then the question becomes, what do we do about them? But before getting into uh, like particular applications, kind of the concretes of do this and don't do that, do that other thing and not this and so on, we, ha we have to re remember that all of this ultimately has got to be directed by a loving heart. So love will not only delight in the beloved, but love also has a sincere desire for the beloved's welfare or well-being. Uh, flip with me just very briefly to Ephesians chapter 4. Although the word love is not used in this particular verse, look with me at verse 29. It, it certainly shows or demonstrates the, the activities of love when it comes to speech. Verse 29. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that it might minister grace unto the hearers. It's interesting. So no corrupt communication is a universal negative. But then uh, a particular design is given to us in all of our communication. Uh, our desire um, in, in all of our speech ought to be the edification of the other. Edification is, is a word we use a lot in, in church circles. If you're young, perhaps you've heard the word but not been exactly sure what it meant. It basically means building or upbuilding. So if you wanted to build a house, for example, you could say that you build it or you edify it. 
It's also where we get the word edifice. An edifice is something that has been built or something that has been built up. So the goal, what the loving heart desires in communication is the edification or the upbuilding of the other, uh, further described here as the ministering of grace to the hearer, right? So we want we want to build up. And so um, as, as we look at some of the the applications, you might say some of the tools that that Scripture gives us for uh, for maintenance work on our relationships when when offenses come. Uh, there's always going to be much for the loving heart to consider in uh, in timing, other circumstantial con considerations manner and mode uh, love is always going to be con considering in all of these things what is going to build up my beloved what is going to edify now of course we know that um, we can't really well we can't help ourselves much less somebody else not really but we're what we're going to do is we're going to uh, do our best by God's grace to uh, arrange things so that it is as carefully designed for upbuilding up as possible. And then we're going to rest in um, the work of the Spirit, that, that the Spirit might be pleased to add his blessing and make it uh, edifying indeed. So I wanted to, to divide this up. I don't know exactly how far how far we will get, but uh, I wanted to divide it up really into two broad parts. The first is, well, what do I do when I have offended my brother, or at the very least he's taken some offense, even if it's perhaps not justified? What do I do? And then later on, maybe today, maybe next week, consider uh, what do I do when my, when my brother has offended me? So with this in view, turn back with me to Matthew chapter 5. And just a, a little bit about context. Of course, you will know that we are in the midst of uh, the Sermon on the Mount after verse 17, the Lord Jesus turns his attention to um, the spirituality of the law. Uh, he complains that um, uh, that their teachers had uh, taught an obedience that was external in its bearing and in its emphasis. So, for example, if you had never committed adultery with your body, you, you had kept the seventh commandment. And you will remember famously, Jesus says, no, that's not all that there was to the commandment. The commandment is not just about bodies. The commandment is what's going on in your, your mind, your heart, uh, your imagination. Uh, 
let's just pick up with verse 21. This is part of his his meditation on the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. And once again, he teaches that this commandment was never merely about bodies. 21. Ye have heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. And whoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you that whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whosoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whosoever shall say, Thou fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Um, there's a lot in the way of exegetical elaboration that could be done there, but Let's just glean right off the surface that Jesus says you have heard or your teachers have said that if you kill, you will be liable to judgment as if that were the extent of the commandment. But Jesus goes on to say that that murder has its source ultimately in the human heart and that, um, in other words, when you have when you have anger and malice festering in the heart, that's the source out of which murders ultimately erupt. And that those motions of the heart are likewise liable to judgment. They might take place in secrecy. Perhaps no human uh, being could judge them. But nevertheless, they are liable to uh, God's judgment. Um, so he goes on, verse 23, and this is where he begins to talk very directly about our, about our relationships. Therefore, if thou bring thy gift to the altar, and there rememberest that thy, thy brother hath aught against thee, <laughs> Leave there thy gift before the altar, and go thy way. First be reconciled to thy brother, and then come and offer thy gift. Agree with thine adversary quickly, whilst thou art in the way with him, lest at any time the adversary deliver thee to the judge, and the judge deliver thee to the officer, and thou be cast into prison. Verily I say unto thee, thou shalt by no means come out thence till thou hast paid the uttermost farthing. So we touched upon this uh, briefly last week. Um, if it occurs to us um, that our brother has something against us, and it's interesting here that Jesus does not differentiate between uh, a real offense and a perceived offense. He, he doesn't, like sometimes a brother might be offended because I have really wronged him. I've really sinned against him in the eyes of God. Sometimes a brother might be offended, not because I've really sinned against him, but only because he perceives that to be uh, the situation. Jesus does not differentiate here, but in verse 24, he gives a command, go thy way. Uh, he would have us to 
make these relationships right. He would have us to do it with uh, urgency. Um, and the more you, the more you value worship, the the more important that seems to you, the more urgent this exhortation will will seem to you. He would have us to have our relationships in in good order and, and form when we appear uh, before Him. So uh, we we are to um, we are to go. And uh, if we have uh, if we have really offended, we should go with sincere apologies. And I should just say, um, th this can be difficult for us because in our sinfulness we're very proud. Uh, we don't want to admit when we have done wrong. And pride is one of the great barriers to, uh, to reconciliation. Um, but viewed rightly, in one sense, if you're the offender, this puts you in a very good position because you can do much to make the relationship right and bring healing. So we go, of course, acknowledging and um, and uh, confessing our sins. Uh, we go and to the best of our abilities, we make it right. That is, we make we make restitution. Maybe we can look at this. Flip with me to to Luke chapter nineteen. <clears throat> And just think about the impact upon this of this upon human relationships. Every Sunday school child will know the story of uh, Zacchaeus, that wee little man. Uh, but. But the, the lesson here is certainly uh, large and profound. Pick up with me at verse 1. And Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, which was the chief among the publicans. And he was rich. And he sought to see Jesus, who he was, and could not for the press, because he was little of stature. And he ran before and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house. And he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying that he was gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Lord, uh, behold, Lord, the half my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation. It, um, this day is salvation come to this house. 
for so much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Zacchaeus is a good example to us of, of, um, of true repentance. His apology, if you will, is seen to be sincere because there is in it a desire to restore what was unjustly taken. That, that's what uh, restitution is. I mean, in really simple terms, if your offense was you cheated somebody out of some money or something like that, um, as part of a sincere apology, you would want to give it back, right? So that's a very plain restitution. But uh, there are other ways of making restitution. If, um, if you have unjustly taken somebody's name, honor, reputation, one way is you show the sincerity of an apology is you give it back. You do what you can to uh, restore the reputation. Um, there, there, there's a particular kind of uh, tragedy and sorrow when we have damaged things by our sins in, in ways that we can't repair, when we have done things that really cannot be retracted. If you think about it, um, like the restoration of some money, something like that is, is comparatively easy, but there are all kinds of situations in life where we have damaged in ways that we, that we really can't repair. And so in such cases, um, uh, we certainly can make our apology. We can do our best. Perhaps we can do, in some measure, um, restitution. But it ought to be uh, accompanied with a particularly acute sorrow that no more can be done uh, to restore uh, what, what has been lost. So, the, the, so this would be the going and how we ought to go when we have offended. But remember, Jesus doesn't seem to excuse us in Matthew chapter 5 if, if the offense is uh, merely perceived. And so if, um, if the offense is merely perceived, we, we ought to go, and we ought to go prepared to make some sort of um, explanation because we wouldn't want even a, a perceived fault to be a barrier in relationships. Uh, our larger catechism uh, on the Ninth Commandment talks about the, the importance of uh, receiving a just defense, which also implies the importance of giving one. Uh, turn with me just very quickly to, to Acts chapter 7. I mean, we, we see the failure. This is one of the proofs that uh, the larger catechism gives. You remember when they brought, when they brought uh, accusation against uh, Stephen, 
there is really nothing, there is no material, no substance to their charge. Um, and so S Stephen's job on that particular occasion is not to try to make up something to apologize for. He's indeed he's being brought to trial for the because he has done uh, what is right. So he he brings throughout chapter seven a very lengthy defense of himself, and then you get the you get the reaction, their sinful reaction to his just defense. So when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly unto heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. I think verse 57 in particular. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord. Um, sometimes we can quite literally stop our ears by putting our hands over them. Much more frequently we, we stop our ears because we're not ready to receive a just defense uh, from another. But my point here is when offenses have been perceived, but they're not real, they, they still need to be removed if they are, if they are barriers to uh, relationship. And so that's going to be done through the presentation of a just defense, some explanation as, um, as to the true matter of the case. And then, of course, the corresponding duty uh, on the on the part of the other to receive that that just defense. And if I if I might add one further thing to that, flip with me very quickly to James chapter three. Part of what I'm trying to get at here is um, probably in, in the case that's being contemplated, it's easier to offer the just defense than, than accept it. Because frequently we will find that we have been kind of, um, we've been nursing an offense, uh, thinking ourselves ill-treated, perhaps thinking ill of the other. And so when the other comes with an explanation, which is altogether uh, fair, uh, we're not wanting to let, let the matter go. Or perhaps um, we might find, and, and so there's a couple of ways. I mean, one, sometimes we just won't accept what they're saying to be true at all. Uh, sometimes, Sometimes there's so much force and fairness in what they're saying, and yet we're not ready to let it go. So we um, we start picking nits, as it were, 
we start reformulating our offense or putting a di different emphases on it because at the reality is we really don't want to let it go. Uh, and here James, uh, James warns us. This is very famously his, his contrasting of the wisdom from above and the so-called wisdom from beneath. Uh, James chapter 3, beginning in verse 13. Who is a wise man and endued with knowledge among you? Let him show out of a good conversation his works with meekness of wisdom. But if ye have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. This wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, and devilish. So I want you to notice he, he, he pinpoints some things in the heart. If you have bitter envying and strife in your hearts, glory not and lie not against the truth. And you know how we are when we've got that, that rancor in our hearts, because it sounds strange, like who would glory in it? Um, but we're able to come up with every excuse in the world to justify its presence there, right? Like we might read these and readily apply those, apply these words to other people, but like my, the rancor in my heart, I have every good reason in the world for that rancor to be there and I'm, and I'm not going to let it go, right? So he warns, if I were to gloss this, he'd be like, stop fooling yourselves. You've got 101 really good reasons for why it's there, but this wisdom descendeth not from above, but is earthly, sensual, devilish. Verse 16, for where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, and easy to be entreated, full of mercy and good fruits, without partiality and without hypocrisy. And the fruit, and the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace of them that make peace. I want you to, to notice here, we'll probably have occasion to look at this some more later. Wisdom is first pure, but then peaceable. It's gentle. And um, in Matthew chapter 5, it made me think of that, that expression, it is easy to be entreated. That's the wisdom that comes from above. <laughs> So when, when a brother, when you feel like um, somebody sinned against you and your brother comes and his explanation of the events is, is fair, if, um, if that rancor is wanting to stay there, James warns us, stop fooling yourself. This is not the wisdom that comes from above. Earthly, sensual, devilish. But if it's the wisdom that comes from above, it's going to be easily entreated. 
um, in other words, it's going to want to receive the explanation of the brother. I remember um, reading years ago, um, I don't, probably not many of you are, are familiar with, with Kierkegaard, I don't necessarily recommend it, but um, he did have a, he had a way with words and every once in a while you would get these really beautiful expressions but he, but he said, if um, if a severity can see something as worse than what it is, then perhaps love can see something as better than what it is, right? And I think he's kind of capturing the spirit of a, of an easiness to be entreated. So this is not a disposition that having received an explanation is just going to like reconstruct the complaint um, or find different emphases or nitpick or whatever. If the body of the offense has been removed, it's been removed. If there are remaining imperfections in it, then likely those can be covered in love, forborn, and uh, there can be a moving on from these things. So just again, let, just by way of, of recap and and review, and we, it looks like we're only going to get the the first half here. We contemplated the, the situation in which um, you know that a brother is offended, whether that offense is just real or perceived. In the case that it's real, we certainly go with a, a verbal acknowledgement of sin and a confession of it. If it is possible to make restitution, then uh, a restitution will uh, will be made. You can see right on right in the in the face of it how that powerfully demonstrates sincerity and will do much to restore uh, a relationship. And I should I should also say that in Christian circles. Um, that ought to be met with forgiveness. And that ought to conclude the matter. Uh, and part of forgiveness is once the matter is concluded, then uh, the offense is going to be put in the rear view uh, mirror. If we are ever carrying the baggage in our relationships of the million and one past offenses, eventually, even for strong relationships, eventually the weight is going to become too much to bear. So they have they have to be left in the past. So that that move, that Matthew five move, uh, where the offender goes to the offended and makes confession and restitution. In Christian circles, that ought to conclude the matter. That ought to be met with forgiveness and acceptance, reconciliation, and become a um, like a, a living model of what it is for uh, uh, Christ to receive the believing sinner. Because we're told to to forgive after the pattern of, of Christ's own forgiveness, right? And and again, uh, even if there's imperfect imperfection in the repentance, uh, 
Remember James chapter 3. There ought to be a certain sort of easiness to be entreated. And if we really desire relationship, in other words, if if the offender is coming and you're meeting the offender in love, that means you're going to want a restoration of the relationship. So you're not going to you're not going to major on what imperfections remain in the repentance. You're going to major on the fact that the body of the offense has been uh, removed. And what's left? We'll talk some more about the details. Um, perhaps those things can simply be covered in love, and there can there can be a moving on from things. Um, but um, not, the situation's not too different. When um, the offense has been imagined, the Lord doesn't let us off the hook. Still have to go. Uh, go with an explanation for the removal of the offense. And then the ninth commandment duty on the part of the one that's hearing the explanation is to receive that just defense. That is, that is an aspect of justice. <laughs> and if there are imperfections in it, um, uh, perhaps those things also should just be, should just be covered in love so that there might be um, a closing of the relationship and and a moving on. Next time we are we are together, we'll we'll talk about what to do when when your brother has offended and perhaps there's no acknowledgement on his part that he has uh, offended. The scripture gives uh, quite a bit of counsel, very practical guidance on how to handle those things. Perhaps we might find that we have been skipping some steps that that could be helpful. And when it comes to our relationships and uh, their value, we certainly want to have a full tool chest. We want to have all of the Bible's tools in our in our tool chest for uh, doing maintenance work on our relationships. Let us ask for the Lord's blessing and help. 